0: Good morning! morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We are coming to the season of Christmas when we remember and celebrate Jesus Christ's first coming. And there is a, a little account from this history about some wise men. And to this day, there's a little phrase that we use, and it is, Wise men still seek him. And we have that phrase to speak for each of us and to remind each of us that we all need to still be seeking Jesus just as the wise men did who showed up in Matthew chapter 2. It tells us in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth. We thank you that you left the glories of heaven that you humbled yourself and became one of us so that you could redeem us. Lord Jesus, I pray that today we would be as the wise men and that we would be wise in seeking you, that we may know you, that we may know your word, that we may know your promises, that we might have a perspective in this life That is a perspective that keeps always in view your promise of coming again. And Lord Jesus, we look to that and praise you. We pray now that you will help us to understand this chapter in Daniel and the history of it. And Lord, I pray that through it our lives might be changed and you might be glorified. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, you all know the account of the wise men, right? Did you ever wonder, though, where did the wise men get this idea that there was a king of the Jews born? What in the world made these wise men from the east come to Jerusalem? Well, you might know an answer. You might have an idea. Why did they come? What did they follow? Can anybody tell me? What did they follow? Yes, they followed a star. That's right. The wise men followed a star, and they came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem. So how come they show up in Jerusalem, and they say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, they say, For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Would you worship a king? How did they know there was going to be a king? Elijah, you have any ideas? They were, they were studying prophecy, he says. You know what? I think he's right. I think he's right. These wise men that came from the East, we don't know a lot about them. We know very little about them. But I'll give you a few little misconceptions we have. We have no evidence that there were three, we have no evidence that there were 12. There could have been 30. There could have been 40. In fact, if we learn a little bit about some peoples from the east who sound like these wise men, these magi, it was likely a mini little army that showed up in Jerusalem. (laughs) That's part of the reason why Herod was so afraid. We have these wise men. There's no evidence that they were kings. It never talks about them as kings. Well, there's one little hint that might imply that they were kings even if they weren't kings. Why did they come to Jerusalem? How did they, why did they think there was a king of the Jews born? And why did they come to worship him? You only worship gods, right? Well, Elijah says that they had studied prophecy. Well, I'm going to give you a first clue. We don't really know all and about how the wise men knew what they knew and why they came to jerusalem we don't know exactly why so i'm just going to tell you that right up front but i'm going to give you a few little hints that may help us to understand if these wise men came from the east and the east was babylon who have we been studying who lives in babylon daniel Daniel lived most of his life in Babylon, and we know that Daniel had brought with him, or if he hadn't brought with him, he acquired while in Babylon the Hebrew Scriptures, the law. Likely, he put some of the people under him to work copying them. Well, the Hebrew Scriptures are in Babylon. The writings of of Daniel are in Babylon. But you know, there's one little prophecy way, 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 way back in the books of Moses. Can you take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 24? In Numbers chapter 24, there was a prophecy made. Now, this is way, 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 way back in the days of Moses. And it's interesting, the prophecy was made by a guy named Balaam, which actually wasn't a very good guy. But yet God changed what he had thought to curse Israel into a blessing. And there's a little interesting prophecy in here, and it's in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. Numbers 24, verse 17. It says this, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. Then listen to this. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. We have here a prophecy of a star. Perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps this prophecy. Fascinated those wise men and they were looking for a star. And so when they saw what we call the Christmas star or the star of Bethlehem, they were intrigued and wondered, is this it? But there may have been another reason why they were paying close attention to the, star, the sky at this time. Did you know that God revealed to Daniel a calendar, a, a prophecy that would give a very specific time of when the Messiah would come? How many of you have heard of Gabriel? Oh, good. Gabriel is an angel, right? And she's most, or he's most famous, for coming to who? Who is, who is Gabriel most famous for coming to? William? Mary, you're right, and he came to Mary to announce Jesus' birth, right? You all know that, right? But did you know that we've known about Gabriel long before the times of Mary and Joseph? In fact, when Gabriel appears, not the first time, but one of the prominent times he appears in the Bible as an angel, as a messenger, is actually in Daniel chapter 9. So take your Bibles and turn with me over to Daniel chapter 9. The same angel who appeared to Mary to tell her that she was going to have a baby, even though she was a virgin and knew not a man, she was going to have a baby who would be Emmanuel. This same angel prophesied hundreds of years before as to when this would come to pass. But let's start before we get to Gabriel. It tells us in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So here we are in the kingdom of Babylon, and we are right here in our timeline. And this is Daniel chapter 9 which we refer to as Daniel's prayer and the prophecy of 70 weeks. So here we are, the first year of Darius, right here. Right there, Babylon has fallen. It's the new kingdom, the the, the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. And it says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. Ah, Daniel had books. He says, I understand by books, the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel has copies of Jeremiah's writings, and you may remember that Jeremiah was used of God to write about judgment. And you see here it says, of 70 years. Well, if we look here at our timeline, we haven't paid much attention to one little gray line, dotted line on this chart very much, really, have we? If you see over here, my light is dying. It's there. You see this this line here where it says 70-year captivity? You see the triangle here, and then the triangle on the right-hand side, the upper right? That's the 70-year captivity. Now, Daniel's right in the middle of it. And just so you know, We all look at it and we think about it being a 70-year captivity. But when Daniel was alive at this time, it didn't look like there was going to be an end to the 70-year captivity. There was no sign that it was going to end. But yet Daniel is reading the scriptures. He is seeking God. And he understands from books that it's 70 years. Well, you know what? You have the same books. You have the book of Jeremiah. And if we were to look, we find Daniel learning from the books. He had these books. And you remember Jeremiah and Barak. Jeremiah was writing scriptures, and Barak was his scribe. Well, in Jeremiah 25, 11, this prophecy was given. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Do you know when this prophecy was written? the year before or the year after daniel was carried away a captive to babylon this was written 70 years almost before almost 70 years before daniel chapter 9 when daniel is reading it and he's reading this and he's understanding it and he goes it's almost been 70 years it's almost been 70 years well that's not the only prophecy Because if we keep reading in Jeremiah, we come to Jeremiah 29.10, and this one was written in 597 B.C. So the one was written in 605, 606 B.C., and now this one was written in 597 B.C. So a little bit while when Daniel had been in Babylon for a few years. And this prophecy was written, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. Well, Daniel's reading this in Jeremiah, and he's getting excited because it's been almost 70 years. And the books of Jeremiah aren't boring to him. He is excited by this, but he's also very sad because you know why there are 70 years of judgment? Because that's just what they were. Years of judgment because Israel had disobeyed God. And so, as Jeremiah or as Daniel is reading these prophecies of Jeremiah, he is getting very excited because he understands that these 70 years of desolation of Jerusalem, they're almost up. They're almost up. And so, what does Daniel do? This is really fascinating. Look at verse 3. Daniel says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. As he realized that the 70 years were almost up, he begins to pray. And it's really interesting how he prays. We're going to read his prayer. We don't have a lot of time here this morning to go through a lot of it, but I'd like to read it. And I'd like you to watch for some things. I'd like you to watch for when Daniel confesses his own sin and the sin of his people. And I'd like for you to watch for his supplications. What are his supplications? Those are things he is asking God for. And think about what he is asking God for. And then, watch also at his attitude. At his attitude. Is his attitude proud and arrogant, or, his, or is his attitude humble? Listen to this prayer. Middle of verse four. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenants, and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened to thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. That means exasperation, frustration, troubled in heart and spirit, and it shows on their face. As at this day, to us, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, throughout all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. They've been scattered to Assyria, they've been scattered to Babylon, they've been scattered throughout these empires because of their trespass. That's the breaking of God's law. O oh Lord! To us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Notice here what he's describing himself and his people, as people who have done wickedly, as people who have sinned. And notice how he keeps describing God. He says, to God belongs righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness. To him, he says, the only confusion of face. Verse 10, neither have we obeyed the voice of our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed, broken thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. God warned them that if they did not obey him, that they would be scattered, that their cities would be destroyed. Way back in the days of Moses, this was promised, and Daniel is acknowledging that. And he hath confirmed, verse 12, he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges, that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth? Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, And there were many in the days of Jeremiah who said, how cruel and wicked of God to do this to his people. But look what Daniel says in the middle of verse 14. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. We got what we deserved and had been warned of. We wouldn't obey we wouldn't listen. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renown, you're famous, as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to thy righteousness, I beseech thee, Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Everyone mocks and makes fun of the Jews, the people of God. Verse 17, Daniel prays, now therefore, O oh, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. That's interesting. He doesn't say do this because I'm saying so. He doesn't say do this because of how good I am. He says, Lord God, do this for your sake. Oh. Ah. Oh my God. Incline thine ear, and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness. He's saying, God, we don't ask this because we're some good people or I'm some good people or person. Now, this is quite amazing because Daniel is actually a very righteous man. Yes, he is a sinner for all have sinned, but Daniel is a righteous man. And he says, Lord, don't don't answer my prayer. Don't hear my supplication because of our righteousness. Look at the end of verse 18. But for thy great mercies. That means Daniel knows they don't deserve it, but they're asking it for God's mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And Daniel was going to continue on praying, but something amazing happened at this point in his prayer. He records in verse 20, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking my, in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen at the vision of the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me. Here Daniel is praying, confessing his sin and the sin of his people, which, by the way, I think is a good example for all of us. Sometimes we look around at the world around us, at people around us, in our nation, in our state, in our community, and we're quick to judge them. When really I think we should follow the example of Daniel as it says in verse 20, We need to be praying, confessing first our sin, and also confessing the sin of our people. Well, here Daniel has done just that, and he's praying to God, you, God, keep your promise. You have set a timeline. You have said there are 70 years. Those years, Daniel knows, is almost up. But he is not forgetting in his his excitement for the promise being kept, he's not forgetting why they're being judged. And most of his prayer is actually what should have been being prayed 70 years ago by all the people. And most of his prayer is a confession of what has been wrong. And only just a wee little bit of saying, God, for your sake, because you told it to Jeremiah, because you inspired and made this promise, for your sake, For your mercy, will you keep your promise? Well, in the middle of this prayer, the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel. Daniel's already met this angel before. Remember, this was the angel who gave him the interpretation of the ram and goat vision. And here now, Daniel is about to receive an answer, and it's really spectacular. The last part of this chapter is referred to as the 70 weeks of Daniel. This is the part of the chapter that most likely the wise men from the east who came to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem had a copy of. And most likely it's this passage that caused them to be paying special attention to the heavens, that when they saw that special star that they most likely knew from the prophecy of Balaam way back in Numbers, they put the two together and said, ah, something special is happening in Israel, which caused this, you might say, army of wise men to march to Jerusalem to find this king of the Jews and to worship him. But what about the timing? Well, let's read the prophecy and then we're gonna come back and talk about it. So it says in verse 22 that Gabriel informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill. And understanding, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And here is the vision, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now therefore and understand, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore to and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince "'shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. "'The street shall be built again, "'and the wall even in troublous times. "'And after three score and two weeks "'shall Messiah be cut off, "'but not for himself. "'And the people of the prince that shall come "'shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, "'and the end thereof shall be within flood. "'And unto the end of the war, "'desolations are determined.' And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Here is a prophecy, a vision, of what's called Daniel's 70 weeks. And it's really fascinating I'd like to look at it here. Uh, Mr. Nathaniel, could you grab, there's, there's back in the back, perhaps you already have it in your Bible. Do you have this in your Bible? Find this and pull it out to the very middle flap if you have it there. Nathaniel has a, I have a few more copies here, but this chart basically takes the vision of the 70 weeks. Can you hold off on him? Sorry, Micaiah. Share over here with Hopi. Slide over here and share with Hopi just so we make sure we got enough for everybody. This takes the vision of this prophecy and kind of puts it on a chart, so you can see how it all flows together. And so, you have it here because it might be hard to see on the screen. But on the screen, I'd like to go through this and show you a few little basic parts. Let's look here at this part to start. This is basically just the stretch of the 70 weeks, and I want you to notice the two blue arrows up on the screen that's not on your chart to help you reference this with events you may know about. You see the first one here is the rapture of the church. Well, I ought to give you an overview of it. Here is the beginning of the 70 weeks at the white bar, and it goes to the cross when Messiah is cut off. And there is a gap at the time we're living in now, and the last week, the 70th week, is yet future that will begin with the signing of a covenant after the rapture of the church or real close to it and then 7 years after that Christ Jesus will come to the earth and will then set up his kingdom so this is how this chart or these 70 weeks flow together now let's look at it here if you watch the screen i'm going to read through the The prophecy, and you'll begin to see how things fit together. So in Daniel chapter 9, it says here in verse 24 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. 70 weeks. There they are laid out. What is the purpose of these 70 weeks? Again, in verse 24, watch the screen. You'll see it flow out. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint The most holy. So we see here 70 weeks are determined upon Daniel's city and Daniel's people, and it's to accomplish these things. So these 70 weeks are to accomplish these things, the blue, to these things. And he says to him, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Here, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which to put you in history would have been March 14th, 445 B.C., when Nehemiah was given authorization and command from the king to go rebuild Jerusalem. That is the trigger at which these 70 weeks begin. That's what it says here. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, unto, do you see that word in the middle of verse 25? Here you see it, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Here we see seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. In this time, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And so it was, if we read the book of Nehemiah. There were troublous times, but it was rebuilt. Then it says in verse 26, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Well, that was in the week there. If we do the calculation of these 69 weeks from here to Messiah the Prince, it comes out to April 3rd, 8032. Which, depending on how chronology works, was the year, the time that Jesus came into Jerusalem presenting himself as king. But we know that within that same week, Messiah was cut off. That's the cross. Cut off in the 69th week. Look here, but not for himself. He was wounded, he was crucified, not for crimes he had done, but for you and I, for the sins of the world. Then it tells us, and the people, the prince that shall come. Well, there's a prophecy now of a prince that shall come. That's going to be later in the 70th week. The prince that shall come. And his people, well, who he is, as we look at scripture, we find he is the Antichrist. And we find out he's that little horn on the great and dreadful beast. And that beast was a representation of Rome. So the people of that prince that shall come are Romans. And what does it say of the people of the prince that shall come? Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that's exactly what happened in AD 70. Jerusalem was Destroyed. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he, that is the prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Here we find the prince that shall come, and we find one week. What is this? Well, we're going to learn later what a week is, but here we find this parallel to Revelation chapter chapter 11, where we have split into three, three and a half years and three and a half years or 42 months and 42 months and 1260 days and 1260 days. This is the 70th week. And he shall confirm the covenant, that prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And what's the consummation? That's when Jesus Christ will return And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Here's what's intriguing. Daniel is praying, the 70 years is almost up, Lord. It's almost up. We've done wrong. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and he says, Daniel, there's going to be a decree that the city will be rebuilt. It will be rebuilt. And it was rebuilt. And 69 weeks calculate it all out, comes out to so many days, and we do all of the calendar calendar calculations, we find out that in this 69 weeks, we can find out about the time of when the Messiah would come and when the Messiah would be cut off. This is very likely the prophecy that the wise men from the east, and likely from the east is Babylon, We're reading and studying so that about this time when they see the star, they go, aha, Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks and the prophecy in Nehemiah, it's coming true. There's a king born in Israel. And it's very likely that these prophecies will cause those wise men to come to Jerusalem. And we see it all here, laid out. And there you see Messiah was cut off. But that last week, Daniel's 70th week, is yet future. We also speak of that time as the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble meaning it's specifically dealing with Israel. And all of this is coming together because it's looking for that time when Messiah will return with power. Revelation 19 recorded. So here we see the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week laid out in a chart. You might be wondering, well, some things didn't make sense to me. So let's go back and look at a few things. First of all, look at this here. It says that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. This is important because this tells us that the 70 weeks have to do with Daniel's people and daniel's holy city jerusalem it all has to do with israel and it all has to do with jerusalem very important note to take but then what about the 70 weeks some of you might be saying well 70 weeks well a week is seven days so you know uh, 70 weeks i mean that's just a little more than a year right well that's because you're all thinking like english americans And when you think of the word week, all you can think of is Monday through Saturday. But that's not true for Hebrew people. When they thought of weeks, and actually quite literally, a week meant seven. Seven. And so, there's seven of what? Well, we think of seven days as a week. Well, you could have seven years, you could have seven months, you could have all kinds of different sevens. And in this case, there's seven years each week is a period of seven years. So our way of thinking is seven days, Sunday through Saturday, 77s, we could say. Well, that's just over a year. That doesn't make sense. Doesn't fit in with anything at all. And so it can't mean 77s of days. Uh, So how about 77 years? Or 70 of seven years? Now I'm getting confusing, huh? But now you see a year, seven years is a week all flows together in this and so we see that it's seven years is one week so there's 77s 70 weeks of seven years how long is the year this gets technical and i think we're gonna i'll just read through it here It's 360 days. And you say, wait a minute, our year is 365 days. There's lots of reasons to go into it. If you'd like to study some more on it, there are two great books. One real little book. Everybody can read this book. Not technical, really helpful. That goes through and explains some details. This was written by Sir Anderson, Sir Robert Anderson, who was a famous investigator at Scotland Yard. And he took all of his investigating skills of crime and he put it into investigating calendars and he wrote a book about it. And he was a Christian. He was a a wise man as a king, you might say, in studying out history and trying to understand it. Both these books are in our library. But we look at it and we find that we have a year of 360 days and we do all of the calculations of this and how it works out and comparing it with Revelation and Daniel and all of the math and searching it out. We can come to find out that it is a, a year of 360 days and that fits in perfectly with how Revelation fits together. And so then... It says it was from the granting of the king's commandment. Starts with Nehemiah. We already talked about that, didn't we? Started when the king said to Nehemiah, or here we read in Nehemiah 2.8, the king granted me, Nehemiah, according to the good hand of my God upon me. When this decree was issued, the 70 weeks began, a point in time in history that was very well defined. That's the beginning of the 70 weeks. And the end of the 70 weeks or the 69 weeks, is when Messiah is cut off. He was crucified, not for himself, but for the sins of the world. That's the end of the 69 weeks. And then it speaks of the people of the prince that shall come. And who's the people of the prince that shall come? Well, if we compare again, Scripture with Scripture, we find that the prince that shall come is the little horn of that dreadful and terrible beast. you remember that? And he was the willful king, as described, we'll learn, in Daniel 11. He's the man of sin in in 2 Thessalonians. He is the beast in Revelation. We know him. He's a problem, isn't he? Here, it says, this is the prince that shall come. And it speaks of the people of the prince that shall come. This little horn is on which beast? The great and dreadful beast? Which is the Roman Empire. And so we have the Romans who come, and what did they do? The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This happened in eighty, seventy, when Jerusalem was, after it had been rebuilt, totally destroyed, totally destroyed, I mean, this time really bad. And this was done by the people of the prince that shall come. You might be wondering as we look at this the the parenthesis we talk about the prophetic parenthesis there's a gap there why is there a gap there well one reason why the gap is there is if you look at the completion of what's to be accomplished here not all of those things have come to pass and so that means the 70 weeks aren't up some people have argued that the 70 weeks are over and past But all of the finish, the transgression, you could say that's been accomplished in the cross and the resurrection. To make an end of sins, to to a degree has been accomplished. Make reconciliation for iniquity, most certainly accomplished through Jesus Christ. Bring in everlasting righteousness? Yes, but not quite. To seal up the vision and prophecy? Certainly not. The visions and prophecies haven't been fulfilled. To anoint the most holy, he certainly isn't reigning as prophesied in Jerusalem. So there's a gap here. And many times people call this a prophetic parenthesis. It's a time and a gap. And it's very true and very relevant in prophecy. It happens all the time. In which the Old Testament prophets will see the ministry of Jesus and then it's as if they see just right past the church age. And they go from right here, right on. But as we see fulfillment, we see that there is a distinction between them. An artist has depicted it oh, this way. We're not quite there. Kind of a picture of the prophet of the Old Testament making his prophecies. And he sees the birth of Jesus. He sees the crucifixion of Jesus. He sees um, parts of Pentecost. But it seems as if the church age here, this part, is in a valley. He he sees the antichrist. He sees the return of Christ. He sees the ancient of days, the millennial kingdom. He sees a lot of things, but it seems if some things are in a valley, particularly parts of the church time, the time that we live in. And so you can see how some of their prophecies go like this. And so there's like a parenthesis here where a lot of times the prophecies will make prophecies of these events and then we'll jump right to these and keep on going without an explanation. And you might say, well, okay, that's okay. Some people have trouble with that. But let me show you how this happens sometimes. Let's look at a few prophecies. Here we have a great parenthesis. The the Lord Jesus Christ was in his hometown and he was reading from the Old Testament and he was reading a prophecy. And it tells us, There was delivered unto Jesus the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, back from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I hope you know this history of Jesus because as soon as he finished reading this part of the prophecy, he closed up the book and he sat down and he said to everybody, this day, today, these things are fulfilled. He had fulfilled them. But if you actually open your Bibles and go back to Isaiah, he didn't finish reading the prophecy. Well, the reason he didn't finish the prophecy is because the rest of the prophecy isn't going to be fulfilled yet. On that day, all of this part of the prophecy had been fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But the rest of the prophecy hadn't. Well, you have to reopen your Bibles and go back to Isaiah to read about the rest of the prophecy. And the day of vengeance of our God. Ooh! Boy, would he really have made the people mad. They tried to stone him that day anyway. But really would they have made him mad if he'd gone on. But see, that wasn't the day of vengeance. It wasn't the day for there to be a comforting of all that mourn. That's something that will happen in the revelation. In the revelation. So here, right in the middle of this Isaiah prophecy, you see a parenthesis. Jesus spoke of this part of the prophecy. He says, this day, this has been fulfilled. But Isaiah just kept on going. But what he kept on going hasn't yet been fulfilled. And it won't be fulfilled until Jesus comes back in glory. And it will be in judgment and vengeance of God. And it will be to comfort God. All that mourn. This isn't the only one. If we look at the prophecy of Joel, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. This happened on the day of Pentecost, 40 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. And Peter acknowledged and said, what you see here happening today with the people speaking in tongues is the spirit of God poured out upon his people. It's being fulfilled what Joel had prophesied. But you know what? Joel had prophesied more. If we look at the rest of the prophecy, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Does that sound like what happened on the day of Pentecost? No. This is, again, an illustration of the parenthesis. This is what will happen in the days of the tribulation. And so, yes, God did pour out His Spirit upon the church on Pentecost, But the prophecy of Joel isn't entirely finished. There's a parenthesis there of the church age, for the rest of it will be fulfilled in the days of the tribulation. How about Isaiah 9, 6? You all know this by memory. And it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We're about to celebrate Christmas, aren't we? Here is the prophecy of the child born a son given. But what about the rest of that prophecy? You you know there's more to this. Most of you memorize this, right? You know that this isn't all of the prophecy. It's not just a prophecy that a son is born, a son is, is given. There's more to this prophecy. For it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Consular, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, forevermore, the zeal of the Lord shall perform it. Well, if you think about the Christmas account, wait a minute, this didn't happen. As Daniel's prophecy was, Messiah was cut off. Yes, he entered into Jerusalem. Well, we're going to come to that in a minute. But he got cut off. The rest of this is yet to be fulfilled in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So here again, we see a parenthesis, a prophecy, some of it fulfilled, but the rest of it is yet to be fulfilled. This one's the one I just about jumped to without, without going there. At that date, you saw that until the Messiah, and you saw that April date in your chart, the triumphal entry of Jesus. That, too, has a parenthesis. If we look here in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt the foal of an ass. And we think about this, and we say, this is Palm Sunday. This is the week before Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. This was fulfilled! And indeed, it says that it was fulfilled in the historical record. But that's not the whole prophecy. The rest of the prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. For it says, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. Well, the Zechariah prophecy, well, first part of it came true. But uh, uh, not even a week later, he was crucified and the rest couldn't come true. Why? Because this is a prophecy for the millennium. The same here is true in Daniel chapter 9. We have seven weeks plus 62 weeks, 483 years from the order to rebuild the city until the triumphant entry. And then there's a parenthesis. And then the 70 years come. So the same thing as what we saw in Isaiah and in Zechariah, we see also with the 70 weeks of Daniel. Let me just again, quickly, as we conclude here, read the prophecy, and I'll put it up on the chart animated so you can see it flow together. Gabriel tells Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. "'shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. "'The streets shall be built again, "'and the wall even in troublous times. "'And after threescore and two weeks "'shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. "'And the people of the prince that shall come "'shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, "'and the end thereof shall be with a flood.' And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he, the prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cease, cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate." And so we look at this and we say, this is for Daniel's people in Daniel's city. What's it have to do with us? Well, it tells us in the book of Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Are we still wise men? Do we still seek him? Are we looking looking for where the rapture of the church will come? Are we being wise in searching the scriptures and searching out the matter and wanting to know our God? Do we look and pray daily? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do we long for the day when Jesus will reign, the anointed of the holy upon the throne of David in Jerusalem? Christmas is a time we look back, but I love Christmas because every time I read the Christmas prophecies, I read the millennial prophecies and it causes me to be excited. And I think that if we are wise men, we too will be excited as we search the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you and love you and praise you. For you have known the beginning, the end from the beginning. You have orchestrated all things according to your will. We look for you, our blessed hope, and your glorious appearing. We long for you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.